Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Thursday, July 15th, 2021, and I'm going to dispense with all the health-related stuff because uh, we're not going to be talking about to that, that today as usual. I have Mike Gaddy as my guest, and I just will say check out the website, yourdiyhealth.com. Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H.com. And, of course, our sister site, yourdiywealth.com. And uh, while you're there, make sure you check out the Hyperfund tab. It is an absolutely phenomenal process. Gets you out of the centralized banking system and gets you a livable income very, very quickly with not too much of an investment. Uh, well, I shouldn't say investment. That's not what it is. It's a membership. But anyway, check it out. And if you have any questions on any of those things, just hit the contact me button. Gives you a chance to send an email or call and leave a message. Either way, we'll get back with you as quick as we can, usually within a few hours. And we'll do everything we can to get your questions answered and get you on the right track. Also, make sure that you uh, check out the radio shows tab while you're on the uh, Your DIY Health site. And at the top of the page, you'll see the link to our archive page set up through castbox.fm. And if you scroll down a little further, you'll see the information about the shows we do, when they're on, and how you listen. And then at the bottom of the page is the link to the Facebook page set up for the show and the chat room. So have fun with those things. Uh, There's no charge for anything on the site except the products, and that supports your health and your wealth and your, excuse me, and the show. And uh, that's a win-win, which uh, it's a good thing. So anyway, have fun with that stuff. Keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Eurofolk Radio Network, its owners or sponsors, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say on this show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health or wealth situation. Just... uh, Uh, Look at it as a a jumping off point to do your own research and due diligence so that you can make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. Now, a number to call into the show is 614-426-8787. Again, 614-426-8787. One last time, 614-426-8787. And if you're on Skype, you can send a contact request to Sarge45ACP. That's S-A-R-G-E, the numbers 4-5, and the letters A-C-P is in Paul. And uh, mention your listener, we'll get you approved, and then from that point on, you'll be able to call in anytime that the shows are on live in excellent audio quality. So without any further ado, we're going to go right to our guest, Mike Gaddy. Uh, Mike, uh, you can go ahead and unmute now. Hopefully you can hear me, <laughs> and we'll kick off and see where we go. I got you, Jim. How are you doing today, sir? I am just better than I deserve. <laughs> How about you? Well, uh, if I was any better, I'm sure I'd be illegal somewhere. Yep. <laughs> know what you mean. And I probably am anyway. Yeah. I'll tell you what. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, uh, man, there's now, we're now talking uh, by September 1st, the military's probably going to start doing forced uh, uh, mandatory injections. And uh, there was talk that the military guys, a lot of them were saying, we'll quit. And, but... Um, they can't really quit, but what I, apparently the military is going to do instead of, I think, um, probably because there's going to be so many, rather than try and do court-martials on everybody, they're just going to expel them from the service, which uh, is probably uh, the best way to go, although there were people who were making a career out of it and may have been happy to be there, but won't be anymore. 
but question is, what kind of discharge are they going to end up with, I wonder? Because that could taint some people for the rest of their lives. But uh, anyway, and of course, from there, it'll probably slide over into the uh, regular population. And, uh, of course, Biden announcing he's going to start going door to door and all that. You know, he'll get lost in the first neighborhood he goes to. But uh, we'll just have to see what happens. But I don't know if you had anything in particular that you wanted to hop on today or if we're uh, just going to do a kind of a grab ball or, or what do you want to do? What do you think? Well, Jim, I was thinking about uh, jumping into a pretty deep subject. That's my friend, and that's called... In today's America, do we have trial by jury, or do we have trial by government? Good question. Yeah, and that's the thing. Everybody talks about jury trials, and I say, I don't want a jury trial. I want a trial by jury, like it says in the Constitution. <laughs> and people don't realize that there's a major difference, but even beyond that, when you have courts that are basically government-run, government-paid, um, that's a good question. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, Jim, well, we have this uh, Seventh Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, mm -hmm. and that uh, Seventh Amendment states, in suits at common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. So, uh, you know, right there, I, I don't think most people probably are deep into this study, but right there in the Seventh Amendment itself, it precludes any appeals to a uh, jury decision, but uh, even to a higher court. Yeah, the other thing is, is it deals in suits at common law. Right. We're not dealing in common law anymore. Some, uh, <laughs> extent today, Jim. Yeah. Uh, have, uh, and most all of us have, uh, have had occasion to have been into an attorney's office mm -hmm. for one reason or another, good or bad. And, uh, Jim, I'm sure you've been in one or two in your lifetime. Yeah, yeah, not too long ago. for my, my father-in-law. His uh, uh, was the most recent one for his, um, uh, you know, what do they call it, uh, estate planning. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, have you, uh, did you notice a lot of books in that attorney's office? <laughs> Most of them, the spines have never been cracked on, you know, more for decoration than anything else. Well, did you notice the names on any of them? No, I didn't really look that closely. Okay, it's, uh, the majority of them is called American Jurisprudence. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, and, uh. Don't feel bad if you don't know what's in those books, because lawyers don't either. <laughs> uh, as uh, you said, it's there for decoration, and I have on good authority that they don't, because I've spoken to a group of lawyers and had occasion to ask them if they knew what was in them, and they will tell you no, if they're honest. Of course not. But there's one particular that I would like to read from, Jim. <clears throat> Go right ahead. And that's called the 16th American Jurisprudence Second. <laughs> yep. Now, most attorneys will refer to these as Amjur. Mm -hmm. So it's 16th Amjur Second, Section 177, Late Second, second uh, Section 256. Now, read carefully. This is real important. 
because again, most lawyers don't know it, and I'll promise you, most judges don't know it. But here's what it says. Mm -hmm. The general misconception is that any statute passed by legislators bearing the appearance of law constitutes the law of the land. <laughs> now remember, that's a misconception. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and any statute to be valid must be in agreement. It is impossible for both the Constitution and a law violating it to be valid. One must prevail. This is succinctly stated as follows. The general rule is that an unconstitutional statute, though having the form and name of law, is in reality no law, but is wholly void and ineffective for any purpose, since unconstitutionality dates from the time of its enactment and not merely from the date of the decision so branding it. And what that is saying in layman's terms is legislature can write all the laws they want to. The governor or the president can sign them and uh, people can be arrested under them or what have you. But they are if they're unconstitutional, they're unconstitutional at the time of their writing. You do not have to wait for a court to say it's unconstitutional. Now proceeding with this 16th American jurisprudence, it says an unconstitutional law in legal contemplation is as inoperative as if it had never been passed. Such a statute leaves the question that it purports to settle just as it would be had the statute not been enacted. Since an unconstitutional law is void, the general principle follows that it imposes no duties confers no rights, creates no office, bestows no power or authority on anyone, affords no protection, and justifies no acts performed under it. A void act cannot be legally consistent with a valid one. An unconstitutional law cannot operate to supersede any existed, existing valid law. Indeed, Insofar as a statute runs counter to the fundamental law of the land, it is superseded thereby. No one is bound to obey an unconstitutional law, and no courts are bound to enforce it. That's the entire piece, Jim. So what we there's some very, very important things here. And, it, and here is a critical sentence. A void act or an unconstitutional act cannot be legally consistent with a valid one. Mm -hmm. An unconstitutional law cannot operate to supersede any existing valid law. That's basically, so, in a nutshell, what, what Marbury versus Madison affirmed. So what we're saying here, Jim, is the simple fact is that any law contrary to what is listed in the Bill of Rights is not a law at all and is totally unconstitutional and should not be enforced. Now mm -hmm. let's, you know, look at our favorite, the Second Amendment. Yep. How many laws have been written? How many laws have been signed? How many laws have been gone through legislatures of all the states and the federal government 
that are totally unconstitutional on their face. Oh, right. By now, it's probably between twenty and 30000 Okay. Now, here's the problem. Here's what we get into, Jim. This is what I wanted to touch on today. Mm-hmm. So if we are charged or if someone is charged on that, on a violation of the Second Amendment or any other one, any other unconstitutional law, mm-hmm. anyone who is charged and they go into court, are they tried by a trial by jury or a trial by government? I would say it's probably a trial by government. Okay, do you want to get into the details of why it is a trial by government? Primarily because the the judge sits there and normally in a trial by jury, the jury is the one that actually holds the trial. They're supposed to. And the judge is just there to make sure that everything is done according to proper procedure and that kind of thing. But the jury is supposed to be a trier of not only the fact, but the law. And we don't have that anymore, obviously. Uh, that's been shut down years ago for the most part. And only a few people manage to sneak past the uh, voir dire process and get in there that know what's going on. But um, that's my primary thing, and because the judge is pretty much in charge and uh, has, in many cases, has actually overruled jury's uh, findings, um, it shows that uh, it's a government agent who's paid by the government uh, who will get in trouble, <laughs> who's disciplined by the same government if he doesn't do what they like. Uh, and as a result, you know, that's that's my basic contention at this point. Okay, and I think you're correct. But is there a jury pool of which we have the voir dire process? Is there a jury pool selected for trials? On a case-by-case basis, but the problem is, is number one, the jury is supposed to be a jury of the person's peers, which that's also seldom done. Uh, it's just general people from the general public who are not their peers. And the other problem is they are, you know, if there's any education there at all, it's slim to none. So they don't have a clue what they need to be judging or to think about what they're seeing and hearing in the, in the actual trial. I don't know if that's okay. where you were going to or if you had something well, else. Well, that's part of it. You, you hit on part of it. But my a crucial point is who selects that pool of jurors? comes from the voter registration initially. Allegedly. And then the two tri- the, the, the trial uh, attorneys who basically are agents of the court as well. You know, that's what they always say. Allegedly, it comes from the voter registration. Yeah, allegedly. But is it possible? Who controls the selection of that jury pool? Hmm. Another another, uh, state agent. Well, then it's not a trial by jury, is it? It's a trial by government. Yeah, because they they basically control the whole process. And it's it's smoke and mirrors as usual. Jury pool... Let's say that uh, you're uh, you're being charged, Jim, on a Second Amendment violation, you know, on a gun law violation, which mm-hmm. is totally unconstitutional. Now, let's say that I'm in the jury pool. I somehow got through 
the government selection process, even you know whether it was uh, valid or not, the government still did it. So it's not a trial by jury, it's a trial by government. So let's say that I'm sitting in there and it comes up to voir dire time. Now, the prosecution has done a background check, usually, especially in a big trial, they've done a background check on everybody in the jury pool, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what if they find out that I've written a lot of articles that are pro-Second Amendment? They will immediately try and have you stricken or challenged. Uh, then that makes it a trial by government and not a trial by Exactly. Jury. You know, both sides will try and select a jury that's, you know, right for them. But nobody selects a jury of the peers of the person on trial. Well, Jim, if we did it correctly, the prosecution would have no strikes of a jury at all. Sounds like good to me. (laughs) Why should they? They're supposed to be the ones who compiled and put the case together. Why should they have, in a big trial, have five strikes and be able to remove five people from that jury that might support your position? Good question. I don't have an answer. (laughs) So that that also makes it a trial by government and not a trial by jury. Okay, there are rules of evidence that must be observed according to the government. There are rules of evidence and what can be presented and what can't be presented. Who compiled that rule of evidence? Probably the Bar Association. Aha. Do they work for the government or do they work for the people? <laughs> they work for themselves. <laughs> But still, they're... they're But yeah, they're agents of the court. court. Mm -hmm. Okay, so again, you do not have a trial by jury. You have a trial by government. Yep. Okay, if the... uh, Yeah, Doug, go ahead, real quick. Well, yeah, I've written down this before uh, the... Uh, rules of evidence, but I wrote this down. I said rules of evidence. I, I've studied both the federal rules of evidence and uh, in my area here, it was the uh, local group in the county, the rules of evidence. They violate these all the time. Okay. Yep. They violate them uh, uh, as to their whim. And, uh, so, you know, uh, again, uh, as to the gun violation, uh, they call them firearms, and then firearms are described specifically as the size, the length, and all this stuff. But under the, the DIP Act, uh, this is basically described, I don't know how to put it, it's it kind of like... Uh, you can't go there because the people have the right to bear arms. So that's my two uh, contributions here. Okay. Mike. Rules of evidence and the dick mm-hmm. 
Okay, Mike, uh, continue well, if you would. If the federal government uh, or the state government or the local government creates a rule of evidence, then it becomes a trial by government. They decide what evidence can be produced in your trial. It's a stacked deal to start with. For more than 600 years, since Magna Carta in 1215, there has been no clearer principle of English or American constitutional law than that in criminal cases, it is not only the right and duty of juries to judge what are the facts, but also what is the law, which you alluded to before, Jim, mm -hmm. and what was the moral intent of the accused. But that is also their right and their primary and paramount duty to judge of the justice of the law and to hold all laws invalid that are, in their opinion, unjust or oppressive, and all persons guiltless in violating or resisting the execution of such laws. So if we had an educated people, and I go here to Hosea 4.6, mm -hmm. my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, and they have rejected knowledge. Yep. So if we had an educated populace as to what actually should be done in a court of law, these things could be stopped. They could simply say, especially when a judge says, well, I'm not going to allow that as evidence. That's not his position. Good point. The jury should be able to hear it all. Let me question, Mike, on this issue. Uh, as I've been involved in some court cases and even uh, federal things, uh, one of the increments for one to be uh, found guilty, it doesn't matter. Whatever it was, uh, the issue was, the, the term willful has to be established in the uh, uh, commitment of the crime willful now how can they establish that i mean i know that that can be established but would you speak to that please well uh what i'm trying to do here doug is to cover the parts that make the uh in a trial by government as to a as opposed to a trial by jury uh, then uh, I will try to, after I establish these points, try to get into the minutia of the various aspects of the way they go about doing it. And I hope I'll okay. be able to answer your question at that time. Okay. But, I didn't mean to uh, interrupt there. I didn't know I was being disrupted. No, you're fine. Go ahead. But uh, unless a jury has the right to decide on the validity of the law as well as the facts of the case, then the rights and duty, uh, that is a right and duty of the jury. If they don't have that, it is plain that instead of juries being what they are called the palladium of liberty, they are a barrier against, which should be a barrier against the tyranny and oppression of the government. They are really mere tools in the hands of that government for carrying into execution any injustice and oppression it may desire to have executed. 
but for their right to judge of the law and the justice of the law, juries would be no protection to an accused person, even as to matters of fact. For if the government can dictate to a jury any law whatever in a criminal case, it can certainly dictate to them the laws of evidence. That is, it can dictate what evidence is admissible and what is inadmissible, and also what force or weight is to be given to the evidence admitted. And if the government can thus dictate to a jury the laws of evidence, it can not only make it necessary for them to convict on a partial exhibition of the evidence rightfully pertaining to the case, but it can even require them to convict on any evidence whatsoever that it pleases to offer to the jury. And control the outcome. Yes, it's a absolute controlled outcome, and that is why our justice system is rotten to the core. It's because it's supposed to be in the hands of the people. The people are the fourth estate. It's not the press. The people should be the fourth branch of government. And if the people have no say-so in how their trials are conducted, then the justice system is a complete farce, which it is. And again, constitution drafted by attorneys. With enemies that just hate my, uh, I, uh, my, uh, how, what I believe, uh, let's say it's uh, injustice, then if the court was stacked against, uh, my beliefs, uh, you know, justice and, and righteousness and that it's wrong, uh, certain things are wrong, then the outcome is is already uh, completed before the case is finished. Well, that is my point, Doug, and that's exactly what happens. These Everyone says, well, I'm entitled to my day in court. No, you're not. You don't get your day in court. You get your day in the government's court. And the object of a trial by the people or a trial by the country or a trial by jury is in preference to a trial by the government is to guard against every species of oppression by the government. In order to affect this end, it is indispensable that the people or the country judge of and determine their own liberties against that government instead of the government's judging of and determining its powers over the people. How is it possible that juries can do anything to protect the liberties of the people against the government if they are not allowed to determine what those liberties actually are? <laughs> and again, this goes back to what we've been talking well, about all along. It's the it's the people that wrote the Constitution were attorneys that were basically ensuring that they would have a constant income stream. Well, that's true, Jim. And one of the things I can tell you is my association with the wonderful Arkansas Trial Lawyers Association for two years is that the uh, common, everyday, ordinary barrister, uh, counselor, uh, they, they know about as much about the Constitution as they do rocket science. Mm -hmm. They study all of these court procedures which are mandated by the government. Yep. They don't study anything that protects the people. And yet the Arkansas Constitution, which I read with you, 
here is very clear that the rights of the people are the ultimate, they're in control. Yeah, that's not operating. Well, if you will remember, Doug, I think it was like three, maybe four years ago, because I was in Arkansas at the time, the Arkansas Supreme Court said that they were the sovereign, not the people. And that is in direct contradiction, because my first question to a to two members of the Arkansas Appellate Court when I was on a program in Harrison, I asked them the question at the time because that decision had just come down from the Supreme Court. I said that goes flies totally in the face of Article 2, Clause 1 of the Arkansas Constitution. The Arkansas Supreme Court just ruled against their own Constitution. And the problem is nobody knew it. <laughs> Jim, I will I will relate a story. I will not relate the good attorney of uh, the good judge's name. But about three years ago I was asked I was doing programs in Harrison, Arkansas. I was doing one a month on the Constitution. Well, I got a phone call from a gentleman who was on the Arkansas appellate court. And he called me. I knew his daughter. She was an attorney in Little Rock. And so he called me and he said, uh, hey, he said, I'm having to, I just got an opponent in my race. And he said, I know you travel around the state uh, speaking on the Constitution. And I was wondering if you would mind. And he told me what his district was. And he said, if you were making any appearances in my district, would you mind if I went along with you? And I said, not at all, Judge. Be happy to have you. <laughs> so he uh, joins me for a meeting in Harrison. So we are discussing, that day we're discussing the Bill of Rights. And so I told him uh, prior to us getting into the class, I would allow him to give his little election spiel. And then he could sit there on the panel with me, the two of us, and we would, I would give my program, and then we would have a question and answer period. And so, and this actually happened. I've got witnesses to this. We're going through on the Bill of Rights. And so uh, when we come to the question and answer period, I get asked a question about something, and I answer it. And then a person in the audience addresses their question to the judge. And he's an appellate court judge. And he stood... Uh, and he said, people, he said, I have to tell you up front, to be totally honest with you, I have no level of the, uh, with the comprehension and the understanding of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights that Mr. Gaddy does. He said, I'm going to tell you straightforward. And he says, I do not know the answer to your question. <laughs> and he sat back down, and I was sitting there beside him. I put my hand over the microphone, and I said, Judge, I don't believe I'd have said that. <laughs> and he said, it's well, the may, truth. May I read uh, Article 2, Section 1? Yeah, please do, Doug. Okay, this is from the... Uh, Arkansas, the Constitution of the State of Arkansas of 1874 to 2003 edition. And it says, uh, Section 1, quote, source of power, period, 
all political power is inherent is inherent in the people. Now they should have put a comma there or a period, really, to my uh, estimation, because uh, they added they didn't, they just didn't put a period there. <laughs> So then it goes from there, and government, okay? If they had put a period there, all political power is inherent in the people, period. <clears throat> if started the next sentence of this section one, that would have clarified where things stand, but they didn't. So it reads, all political power is inherent in the people and government is instituted for their protection, comma. Okay? Now, if they put a period after in the people, that would have clarified things more, but they well, did Doug, I will politely disagree with that because I think it's stated mm -hmm. very succinctly the way it is. Because it Me states uh, a twofold thing: the the power is inherent in the people, and the government is established to to make sure that is done. Yeah, I see that. Mm -hmm. The only thing I'm disagreeing with is that if they put a period there, and then uh, made the and government is instituted for the protection, that would have clearly separated for the simple-minded people. The difference. That's all I'm saying. I, I, well, I understand that, that Doug. That and would, I, I yeah. understand what you're saying, but it would be my contention that 98.99% yeah. of the people in Arkansas don't even know what Article 2, Section 1 is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I, I was just making that point there. So I'll finish reading this. Uh, all political power is inherent in the people, and government is instituted for their protection, comma, security, and benefit, semicolon. And they, these are the people, have the right to alter, reform, or abolish the same, which relates to the government, in such manner as they may think proper. So this gives all the authority and power and rights for this particular people of Arkansas to be in control. Well, and that's exactly what I pointed out to two, the two appellate court judges, one male, one female, and I told them both that right there just absolutely blows the Supreme Court out of the water and their uh, determination that the state was the ultimate sovereign, because it's not. And the, uh, the Constitution says so. But then again, uh, the majority of people who wear that black robe don't know the Constitution and, and wouldn't, uh, un wouldn't recognize it. They found it floating in their cereal. Well, even if they knew what it meant, uh, their obvious... Uh, purpose is to have power and uh, follow up the dictates of uh, whoever is controlling 
the power over them. So, well, uh, Doug, while you're sitting there, I would like for you to do something for me. You've got the Arkansas Constitution in front of you. In April of 2017, I sat in the Marble Palace down in Little Rock and sat across the table from Governor Asa Hutchinson. And I read him Article 2, Section 7. I believe there's about 18 words in that. Would you read it for me, please? Uh, Article 2, Section 7, Jerry's yes. trial? Yeah. There's, well, there's more than 17 words here, but uh, so it says, uh, here's the uh, title of it, Jury Trial. No, uh, Article slash. 2, Section 7. Oh, uh, 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 article. Let me see. Uh, article two. Uh, it, it's missing. Well, what's hold on here? Oh, that was the page number. Article two, section seven. Um, it says jury trial slash right to slash waiver slash civil cases. Comma, no, I'm not. I'm not jurors. sure. I'm not sure where you are, Doug. Well, I'm looking at this book here. Um, it goes from six to seven, uh, one page to the next. I'm not talking about pages, Doug. No, I know you're not. I'm looking at the actual Constitution of Arkansas, Article 2, and when it goes to Section 7, that's what you're asking me to read, right? Okay, just hold on. And uh, but anyway, uh, we had this meeting and it was set up. Uh, the meeting was set up by uh, uh, at that time, State Senator Linda Collins Smith, who two years ago was mysteriously and maliciously murdered. And I believe that whole fiasco around hers was a uh, uh, fiasco of a trial. But that's beside the point. Uh, but uh, well. As I'm looking at this, Mike, uh, it says Section 6 is liberty of the press and of speech, libel. No, I'm talking about Section 2, Doug. Oh, Section 2. Oh, okay. I thought you said 7. Freedom and independence. Is that it? Is that what you want me to read? No, hold on. I'll find it. I'll you looking for Article 2, Section 7, Mike? Yes. Right to tri jury trial? Right to waiver? Yes. Okay. Well, let me go I back. can read it. I made the mistake, gentlemen. It's my mistake. I said 7. I'm thinking about another state constitution. <laughs> I, not, I forgot our, that this part is in Section 5, Article 2, Section 5, which is what right I said across the table from the... Uh, governor of Arkansas, and I believe it's 18 words, mm -hmm. and that was, I said, look, uh, Governor, this is very, very simple. You are an attorney. You understand words mean something. 
And I said here in Article 2, Section 5, it says, the citizens of this state shall have the right to keep and bear arms for their common defense, period. Yep. And I, I said that to him, and I said, how would uh, the legislature is now debating a concealed carry law? <laughs> and it's totally unconstitutional. And I said, here are the 18 words that cover that subject without question. And his answer was, I know what it says. I just can't say that in public. <laughs> so, Doug, I apologize. You were looking at Article 2, Section 7. I was thinking that is a jury trial right to waiver civil cases. I, I'm, I apologize for that. I uh, I have too many uh, state constitutions in my head. That's my fault. That's okay, but, but the thing is, is that see, these uh, uh, elected officials are elected according to Section 1. They're under that, okay? They can't overcome that, the source of power. Okay, well, in, well, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in, in each state. And, and so when they step outside of that, then they're working under a, a sort of color of law of authority that has no bearing. It has no authority. It's void. Well, Doug, it's I've got a question void. for you. <laughs> Okay. I'm a little scared right now because I, I go ahead. Okay. Uh, if you have a hundred dollar bill in your pocket and you forgot it was there and I stole it, would you know it was gone? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. And if, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it fall? And if you don't know what your rights are when they take them away, will you understand that? That was my point, Jim. That's where I was going is the fact that right there, right there, and this is something I tried to tell the people in Arkansas, and it's like talking to a rock. Of course, it, the other states are the same way. Mm -hmm. But if, when you try to tell people where the power in government lies, they look at you like, uh, like, like your hair's on fire, and then they try to get away from you as quick as they can, which has always troubled me. Now, think about in every state constitution, every one of them, every state constitution listed first. Now, like Arkansas, Article 1 is the boundaries, the state boundaries. I understand that. They have to lay out exactly where the state belongs. But then Article 2 was the Declaration of Rights. These constitutions were first written, number one, to protect the rights of the people. They were not written to give power to the government. The people have the power to control this situation. They're just too damn dumb to do it. Yep. Hey, may I read Article 2? Please do, Doug. All men are created equally free. Now let's pay attention to that word, free. 
and independent and have certain these words are inalienable rights inherent (laughs) inherent in other words you inherit these Mm-hmm. That's the same as in doubt. In, yeah. And inalienable. So you can't be separated from them. That's what that word means. Right. Comma. Wait a minute, Doug. Wait a minute, Doug. Go ahead. Now, they can be separated from them if they give them up. Yeah. What it means is they can. it cannot be taken from them. Now they can give them away. Uh, As most have. For that clarification. Uh, And uh, so all men are created equally free and independent, comma, and have certain inherent and inalienable rights, comma, amongst which, so this doesn't list them all, are those of enjoying and defending life and liberty, semicolon. So, you know, if, if you've got a right to defend uh, in enjoyment of life, and you have to defend that and the liberty that this comes with then it's unlimited okay well, guess sense. what Doug I have another question for you oh no okay good <laughs> alright Doug is the constitution of the state of Arkansas constitutional uh, constitutional uh, compared to what well, is it constitutional? Oh, Tushin. Man, I, I think you just blew my mind here. So <laughs> the meaning of constitutional actually means is it right? Is it legal? Is it, uh, or is it lawful? Well, either one. Is it lawful? Is the Constitution of the state of Arkansas lawful? I don't know. I would say yes. That's what they wrote, so it is. You just won the card game there. Well, let let me ask you another question, Doug. Can a person be involved in a valid contract under duress or threat? No. Okay, well then the argument... Yeah, they can be... they can be involved in it, but it's I say, not can they can right. they be can it be valid? No. Okay. Well, then the the Constitution of the state of Arkansas is unlawful, and thus it's invalid. Well, the From reason the reason it the reason it's unlawful, Doug, is because at the end of the Civil War or the Wall of Northern Aggression. Ten southern states were removed from the Union, and part of their ability to come back into the Union was they had to submit 
a constitution which would be approved by the federal government. So the people of Arkansas, the people of Arkansas had to prepare, along with nine other states, they had to prepare a constitution that was acceptable to the central government. And under coercion. Yes, under threat. As a matter of fact, there was a senator from Wisconsin named James Doolittle who said that if the southern states did not accept the 14th Amendment and their rights to write and their and their obligation to write a new constitution, that they would be marched on and forced to do so at the point of a bayonet. That, my friend, is stress. And, and it's also you're putting people under threat which makes the entire agreement, the entire contract invalid. So there's 10 states, 10 Southern states, their constitutions are unlawful. That reminds me, uh, Mike, of uh, when I learned some of this stuff, but not at this level, uh, relating to the constitution. When uh, I, used to sign everything I signed, TDC, threat, direct, uh, direct, and uh, coercion. coercion. I used to sign everything that I would sign under, uh, with that uh, equivocation, if you will. Hey, Mike. Uh, Rebecca in the chat room is asking about the Texas Constitution. Same thing. I was going to say they were part one of those states, weren't they? (laughs) Because Texas was part of the Reconstruction Act of 1867, where the 10 southern states were divided up into two state districts, which were commanded by a Union general. And they were told, under threat, you cannot come back into the Union until you ratify the 14th Amendment, which makes the 14th Amendment totally unconstitutional because it was ratified by force. Mm-hmm. And then it, it also made each of their state constitutions. They all had constitutions before that. Why did they have to write a new constitution for the federal government, which puts the federal government in control? Good question. Hey, let me ask you a question here. Oh, please Doesn't do. This, doesn't this kind of sound like a parallel to the whole COVID thing of getting a passport unless you have the vaccination? Does, I mean, I think it's a different timeline, but I think there's a parallel to this is where you, you have to get the COVID. Doesn't it, doesn't it seem like the same type of thing, only uh, a different program? Well, it's coercion, Doug. It's absolutely coercion. There is nothing in the Constitution, uh, in any, either the federal or the state constitutions, that gives the federal government the right or the power or the authority to tell anybody they have to take anything. But well, even though you've been such a, a master and, and excellent uh, uh, speaker of the failings of the, con- uh, of the Constitution. 
there, this is like just a a a, a different uh, application of what they did with the Constitution to manipulate and control the people, and and they're doing this now with this whole COVID thing. Does that make any sense? Well, absolutely, Doug. It's just a continuation. They got by with it once. If I can rob the bank and nobody stops me, why not rob it again? <laughs> so if if I tell you, Doug, that uh, you have to give me 40% of your income every year and I can spend it on any damn thing I want to, well, what happens if I that's not enough money for me and I tell you I want 60%? What if you have some rights and I tell you you don't have those rights anymore because I'm from the government? Now here, I would like to point out a difference here. In 1864, Abraham Lincoln was worried about whether he could defeat George McClellan for the presidency in 1864. So he decided what I will do to ensure my victory if I, is I will bring in two new states into the union and they will vote for me so I will have those electoral votes which will ensure that I win the election. Now, we all know how constitutional that move was because the two states that he brought in were Nevada for number one and Nevada did not have the 30,000 people requisite in a territory to bring it into the union but Nevada had silver, and it had electoral votes. So Abraham Lincoln brought them in, and then he brought in West Virginia, which is a clear violation of Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. He brought in those two states, and we have tolerated that for all of these years, and not only have we tolerated that, we built a huge damn monument to the man who violated the Constitution in such manner and stuck it on the banks of the Potomac River. That's how perverted well, America is. Well, what blows my mind about that is what you just stated, and and I have to just, you know, I, I'm not a a kiss butt guy, but uh, you know, when I listen to you. Uh, Everything that you bring forth, which is elucidating to the max, uh, I really appreciate. And, but what that brings to mind then is with Abraham Lincoln is they're doing the same thing. It, it, when they find a program that works, which is a program that works over the minds of the masses, they just keep using it and using it and using it. Well, I and made the analogy, Doug, that they robbed the bank and nobody cared, so they just keep robbing it. <laughs> and But I'm looking at this as a bank that's the, the minds of the masses, that bank. Okay, and, well... And it applies to both the, the, uh, um, the monetary aspect but also the mind of the true people. and well you've got an indoctrinated mind if you have an indoctrinated mind you control the body that is that is very simple if you control the mind you control the body 
Now here is something I would like to show you and just to show you how absolutely asinine people are and how stupid they are. And I was able to sit in Salt Lake City on in uh, February of 2014 to sit and have breakfast, breakfast with Cliven Bundy, his secretary, and some other folks who were with him, including one of his sons, and a good friend of mine from uh, Salt Lake City. He set up the meeting. So, and he made the statement, Cliven Bundy. He, uh, I heard him give a program the night before, my wife and I. And the next morning, we had breakfast with him at the hotel. And he said, we were talking about what had happened to him on the ranch in Nevada. And he said, well, you know, I'm not upset at the uh, my uh, sheriff. I'm not upset at the people in Nevada. I'm upset at the federal government. And he said, because we have a constitution in Nevada that uh, protects us and should protect us. And the federal government has overstepped their boundaries. And I said, with all due respect, Mr. Bundy, have you read the Nevada Constitution? And he said, yes, I've read it a couple of times. And I said, well, would you mind if I bring something out, which has to be, I said, sir, can I tell you you're, you're free and you're a slave in the same sentence and you'll accept it? And he says, why, no, no one would accept that. No one would accept somebody who says you're free and you're a slave in the same sentence. And I said, well, let me read you from your own state constitution here in Nevada. And here it is. And this sounds, this sounds an awful lot like the Arkansas to begin with. But now listen to this. The Nevada constitution, which wasn't written by the people in Nevada, it was written by uh, Abraham Lincoln's staff. Now they will tell you different, but I think if you go to the National Archives and look it up, you'll find out that it was actually written by the president and his uh, his cabinet. But here is what it says in the Nevada state constitution. I'm going to read you about two or three sentences here, guys, and you tell me how contradictory this is. I have just said you are free, and then I said, no, you're a slave. So here is the way it goes, and here's the actual wording. All political power is inherent in the people, period, Doug. Then it says, government is instituted for the protection, security, and benefit of the people. And they have the right to alter or reform the same whenever the public good may require it. First sentence. Now, here, I've just said you're free. Now I'm going to tell you you're a slave. Okay, here is the second sentence in that section two of the Nevada State Constitution. It says, but... The paramount allegiance of every citizen is due to the federal government in the exercise of all of its constitutional powers as the same have been or may be defined by the Supreme Court of the United States. And no power exists in the people of this or any other state of the federal union to dissolve their connections therewith or perform any act tending to impair, subvert, or resist the supreme authority of the government of the United States, period. Now, how can you have two more contradictory sentences in the same damn paragraph? 
Well, here's what I have to say in response to that. Uh, first of all, uh, the first sentence states that all inherent power is in the people, and the second sentence contradicts that. So then it's up to the people to discern the difference because obviously it's a contradictory statement and if and it stands as contradictory and yet the first statement stands as superior and the second statement stands putting the power of the government in control of all the people. So, well, they did that uh, with a preposition, Doug. They took over uh, the first sentence means nothing. If you study uh, the wording, if you study what words uh, mean, then yeah. they completely negated the first part by putting in the preposition but. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they were... Um, so that particular wording there uh, is violated, cancels out the rights of the people. Exactly. The people in the state of Nevada have no rights except what the federal government tells them they can have, and it's listed in their own state constitution. So let me ask you this question here, then, because I, I understand uh your uh, representation here. So if the people of Nevada wanted to correct that uh, thing there, how, what would be the process to correct it? Because obviously they were put into slavery. Well, the first thing that the people of Nevada would have to do, I believe, and I think the people in all 10 southern states would have to do the same thing. Of course, here we run into that Constitution dilemma that we did in 1787. But all of these constitutions are, uh, are invalid because you cannot sign a contract under force or duress. It is not valid. All of the 10 southern states' constitutions were signed under duress. Yeah, threat, duress, and coercion. So those all go uh, together. Don't you agree? Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I'm going to jump in here. Samuel's called in. I want to give him a chance to ask a question or make a comment. Samuel, go Please. ahead. Good to hear from you, Samuel. Hey, guys. Uh, Michael, I uh, just in the last probably two minutes, you, I guess you sort of answered my question because all states, I think, except uh, uh, Alaska and Hawaii, have organic uh, constitutions, and then later a corporate one. And as a state citizen, instead of a federal citizen, would you not be under the organic one versus the corporate? Well... Here's the thing. We can have all kind of opinions on those things, but I'm going to be pretty, uh, I believe I'll be pretty accurate, Samuel, in telling you that the courts are not going to agree with you. 
Yeah. And, um, and, and we should know why. All we have to do is like read this uh, Nevada Constitution and you see where they've laid the traps for everybody. Yes, you have rights, but. Yeah, and if you were a state citizen and you were in a real uh, uh, trial by jury, um, you would supposedly have peers, which would be also state citizens. Oh, I don't think they keep a list. <laughs> well, again, uh, you know, Samuel, and hey, I would really appreciate your calls. You always have some very good points, as does Doug. But here's the point in this discussion. And that is, is that we don't have enough people who have knowledge to turn this country around. You, we have a nation of idiots. And a nation of idiots will never be free. You know, uh, are you familiar with Judge Melvin Stamper? To some extent, yes. He says that it, it, if you show up in that court period, you give them jurisdiction. So if I ever got arrested, I would just tell the sheriff, man, you brought me here by force. You put me in a wheelchair. You have one of your guys roll me in there because I ain't going in on my own power. And then the judge says everything has to be abated because they have no process if you don't show up voluntarily. And all of the court, it's not a building. It's nothing but paperwork. And if you can show all the errors in the fact that they have no process for you, then they can't deal with it. What do you think about that? Well, I think at this point we are living, Samuel, under a complete, and that is uh, part of uh, the purpose of the why I decided on this subject, and Jim uh, allowed me to do this, is that we do not have a trial by jury. And people keep believing that they do. And it's the same thing. If I make you believe you have something, I don't have to give it to you. Absolutely. But and do you think we, you can force the judge's hand in, like, the statements that Stamper made to get yourself out of that crazy place? Well... I've seen, and I'm aware of, especially in some Second Amendment cases, which I have studied uh, to some extent. And there was a gentleman again in Arkansas, up uh, up in Doug's territory about 10, 12 years ago, who got charged with just an absolutely, totally bogus charge, but they had his trial in the federal court in Little Rock. Now, that is not a jury of your peers. Mm-hmm. Okay, then the neck, because the people in Little Rock have no idea what it's like to live in a rural part of Washington County, Arkansas. They have no idea. That is not a judge of your, that is not a jury of your peers that's selected in Little Rock. So, but anyway, his attorney came in in a preliminary hearing and said, uh, we intend, Your Honor, to base our defense on the Second Amendment to the Constitution. And the judge, a federal judge appointed by George W. Bush, told them, if you bring up the Constitution in my courtroom, I'll find you in contempt. Yeah, your legs have just cut out from under you. Americans tolerate this. Then they they, they also um, are using that process that the judge is talking about 
because you're showing up there voluntarily, and that gives him the right to tell you that. And they call it yeah. they call it firearms, not the right to bear arms. So they've also changed the words. Well, Samuel, let me give you a, a case uh, that I was personally involved in in Colorado. Now, uh, I had some very good friends who lived in McElmo Canyon. They were farmers and ranchers. I did not live in McElmo Canyon. I lived in another part of the county. Some of these people had been to my Constitution classes and what have you, and they came to me and they said, look, the Bureau of Land Management has put in an applica application to take six gallons of water per second out of our irrigation system. And we might get be able to get by on good years, but on bad years, we're not going to have any water for our crops or our pasture land. And they said, can the federal government uh, secure the water through the BLM? And I said, not constitutional. And they said, oh, well, would you help us with our case? And I said, gentlemen, I'd love to. One of the gentlemen has now passed away. I love the old man. He was a fighter. And he said, let's fight this. And I said, okay, I'll help you in any way I can. So at that time, I had a friend who was a district attorney, and he couldn't get involved in this case, but I asked him to help me prepare the paperwork. So I filed a proceeding in the federal courts to stop the Bureau of Land Management from taking the water. So we go in for our first pretrial hearing, and the judge asked me, he says, okay, what do you intend to base your case on? And I said, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the U.S. Constitution, and Article 2, Section, uh, Article 5, Section 9 of the Colorado Constitution. And he said, which states what? And I said, okay, Article uh, 1, Section 8, Clause 17, stipulates in the federal constitution what property that the federal government can actually own. And he says, oh, okay. I said, it's called the Enclave Clause, Your Honor. And he said, okay. All right, now what about the uh, Colorado? And I said, okay, the Colorado constitution says that no one can speculate on water in the state of Colorado, that the water belongs to the people. And I said, the BLM is not the people. And, it, you know, we were talking about the Bureau of Land Management, not Black Lives Matter. And he says, okay, all right. And he said, I see where you're coming from. All right, so then we had a hearing, uh, you know, one of those things where they put us together with the, with the people from the BLM. And I, the chief of the BLM in Colorado is sitting there, and uh, he said, okay, what do you base your case on? I said, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, the Enclave Clause of the U.S. Constitution. And he says, okay. And I said, well, I said, sir, you are a, uh, you work for the government. And he said, yes, that's correct. I am the director of the BLM for the state of Colorado. I said, okay, did you take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic? He said, nope, I didn't. And his assistant was sitting next to him, and she elbowed him, and she nodded, yes, you did. Now, this is the quality of people we have sitting in these positions. He didn't know he took an oath to the Constitution. But then he started, someone handed him a pocket Constitution, and he starts looking through it. And then he turned to me, and he said, well, Mr. Gaddy, I can't find what you're looking at. And I said, well, maybe that's because what you're holding is the Communist Manifesto. 
Well, I was being a smart ass and I got reprimanded by the judge for doing that. But anyway, the point of it was, is we ended up like 14 months later. But the first thing he did was the judge ruled that I had no standing because I didn't live in McElmo Canyon. So we had to go back and refile everything, all the expenses of refiling everything, and I had to get it refiled, but I picked up two people, two of the farmers in the, in the canyon and put them on the petition. 14 months later, we end up in a hearing before the judge, and he again asked me, what do you base your case on? And I said, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, Article 5, Section 7, whatever it was at that time in the Colorado Constitution, and the judge, federal judge, looked at me and he said, I am not bound by either one of those documents in this court. So I'm guess what? Sure, I'm pretty sure Judge Stamper would agree with that. So guess what? We appealed that case. That was in 2015. It hadn't been heard yet. But the BLM has taken six gallons of water per second under a temporary order from the people, and I promise you that appeal will never be heard. Wow. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a rigged system, but the people don't care. And that's where I go back to Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, and they have rejected knowledge. I have given constitution classes in about seven or eight states, and I've never charged anybody a penny. And I promise you, if we were paying, playing foosball, I would get more people to show up. Michael, do you, do you think all of the state organic constitutions are flawed because they're based, they had to conform with the U.S. Constitution? Well, I think they are. See, here's another thing, Samuel, and that's a great question. And I was going to get into that at some point. And that is also is that the federal government, the radical Republicans, and I guess Republicans, and uh, yes, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. Uh, that's why they have Lincoln Day dinners now, because he was such a freaking tyrant. So uh, and the, and the Republican Party loves tyrants. So uh, the point of it being is that if you go and actually do a close examination, you will find that the Lincoln administration required several northern states to rewrite their constitutions as well. So, yes, in my well, opinion, they're all invalid. Well, if California was 1849, so it would have been prior to Civil War, and I hear people say, of course, who knows that it's a it's a great document i've tried to read some of it uh, where it's applicable to me and um of course i'm i, I was told by a, a legal authority uh when, when you read a legal document you should look up of and thou every word <laughs> which is not something i care to do well that's a very valid point samuel and i bring that up specifically because of a letter from Richard Henry Lee 
that was written to Patrick Henry. Now, Richard Henry Lee was one of only two anti-federalist senators in the first U.S. Congress. And Richard Henry Lee wrote a letter to Patrick Henry at the end of that first term of, con of Congress, and he wrote to him about the Bill of Rights. And he said that they had messed, and I'm this, this is my phrase, not his. He was much more eloquent than I'll ever be. But Richard Henry Lee said they have manipulated the wording of the Constitution to mean to the point, I mean, to the Bill of Rights. They have manipulated the wording in the Bill of Rights. And he went specifically to the Tenth Amendment. And he said, and where it says, and those powers are given to the states or to the people. And he revealed at that time that what the senators did when they, because it ended with to the people of the states, the original document, the original writing, it didn't have or to the people. And Richard uh, Henry Lee stipulates in that letter to Patrick Henry that they added or to the people to take that power away from the states and give it to the people in aggregate of the entire country. Wow. And he, he goes into detail as to how they added that. Mm. And so they, and he talked about how they just completely took the wording of the uh, amendments to the point to where they could be interpreted any way a lawyer wanted to interpret them. And the wording was changed in those amendments for that reason. Shane has called in. Uh, he's usually just listening. But, uh, Shane, do you have a question? Maybe not. Alan has also called in. And, Alan, if you uh, got a question, go ahead and unmute and come on in. Uh, okay. Hey, Jim. Hey, Mac. Hey. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, when a judge says that, I guess in, in reality he's right because he's in an administrative court, uh, not in a true court. So that's kind of where I was wondering, what is the definition of a court? Who owns Damn. the court? Like if you go to court, who owns the court? The government. Not if you not if you file a paper. <clears throat> in other words, if if you're filing a paper against somebody, the the definition of a court is the person and sovereign of uh, the person and suit of the sovereign. That's the definition of a court. So that would be your court. You would own that court. If you file and and you're going to prosecute someone. The defendant would be a guest in your court, and a guest really doesn't have any any rights in in there either. It's just like if I come to your house, you know, what rights do I have at your house? Really none. Only whatever you're gracious and, and offer to me. In a court, the defendant is that way. He really has no rights. The court belongs to the person who brought the suit. And if you go by the definition of the court of record, the judge would have no say so in that case because it the going by the definition the magistrate is separate and independent from the tribunal so it means a judge could not make a decision in that case if you use that and hold him to it well how do you hold him to it with a gun no 
if he makes a decision as soon as you're out of that court, you go back and you write a court order vacating what he said because it's you not his court. court order. You do. You're, okay, you sign a court order to overrule a judge, and that has worked how many times? I I know of one case out in California where the guy had done this, and he actually held the judge in contempt, and they and the he did judge not punish himself, right? Well, they fined him a dollar, but no, they took hit they took that judge off of the case and put in another judge at that point because they knew that the guy was right and. It, he, he went on through with the case, but they removed that judge from that case. So that's the part of the common law that, that people don't understand. He, he said he was operating under common law. And if you use the definitions and okay. just think through the whole process, it seems that that is the way that it's set up. That's part of what they're hiding from everybody. Well, it has been, it's my opinion, you know, Alan, and I sell it for what it's worth. Uh, I have been involved in this uh, study and this, this movement for about 40 years now. And I have seen uh, the things that you mentioned. I have heard people mention them. I have seen people walk into court with such documents and be held in contempt of court and hauled off to jail. Yeah, I don't doubt that. And I'm not so, saying I know how to do it because I absolutely know, you know, very little of anything about a court, uh, not had to be there and don't particularly like going, but, uh, going by what that fellow was teaching and just listening to him, uh, he, he says that, well, I mean, he put, he always put in his paperwork, you know, that he was one of the people of the state and in this court of record, that's the way he would start his paperwork then that stipulated that, that basically what it said was he was sovereign and he was, and this was a court of record. Well then, because it is his court by definition of a court in Black's law, then he is the owner of the court and he is the sovereign of the court. The court can't speak for itself, so the, he therefore speaks for the court. That's what enabled him to be able to write a court order to vacate the judge's order because it says that the judge is separate and independent from the tribunal. He said the judge is only a magistrate in a true common law court of record. Well, the problem there, Alan, is, and I, I don't mean to keep being the devil's advocate here, but I've been, oh. as I said, I've been looking at this for 40 years. And the thing that they will tell you is there is no provision for such judges in the Constitution, and there's not. The Constitution does not provide for the judges, and they will tell you that then they will tell you they operate under the Constitution. They operate under the Constitution when it plays to their hand, and they do not play under the Constitution when it plays to the other hand. Yeah. Well, I can see that, and, and they, but at the same time, I see why when they say that the Constitution doesn't apply here, and if you bring it up again, because you're not in a true court. I mean, that's their administrative procedures that you're under when, well, when they actually, do that. That's the way Alan, I see it. You are in a court under the Constitution. When, it, when was you're, a, it was established by Article Three of the Constitution. So, yes, you are in a court uh, under the Constitution. 
Okay. And basically, I guess in common law, you're really in a court outside of the Constitution. Exactly. But exactly. you can use you could use that in your court. Uh, as far as that goes, you could go back and and say the contramatria carterum or or the Magna Carta is actually your law in your court, and it is good law, and can and could be used that way in a true common law court. The problem is the Magna Carta is not mentioned in any federal constitution or any state constitution. No, it's not. But it was where basically all of the laws of U.S. came pretty much from what came out of the Magna Carta, it seems like. Well, you might want to study that. <laughs> yeah. This this guy called David Strait, I don't know if anybody's seen his stuff, but uh, and he also said he helped Bundy out. don't know if that's true either. But he said when he goes into these places, he uh, will not stand when the so-called judge comes into the chamber, and he will not address him as a judge. He calls him Mr. Administrator or Miss, Miss Administrator. Hmm. Michael, well, I have a question. This is yeah. Shane. Say it again, I'm sorry. My name is Shane. I have a question for you. Oh, please do. Hey, isn't the of equity, a judicial standing, uh, uh, they take and take and take as a court of equity? And your question was, I'm sorry, you were breaking up on my end a little. I didn't understand the question. It's a court of equity. Well, you know, I've heard I've heard these different phrases and I've heard these people who have declared themselves to be common law judges and I've seen all of that stuff over and over and over again and I just have never seen it work mm -hmm. and I have a very good friend who was probably one of the greatest legal minds and he was a uh, member of Menza I mean his IQ was off the charts na uh, neighboring in the 200 range and he started bringing these things up in court. He started bringing up so many things and suddenly, suddenly he gets charged with income tax evasion. They haul him out of, he doesn't get a jury of his peers. They haul him out of the state he was in, take him to another state in the federal court and try him for income tax evasion, which they never proved. And the judge there sentenced him to 15 years in the federal penitentiary. And there is absolutely no legal basis for any damn thing the courts did. But he was bright on these things. I mean, he, and, uh, he has written a book which uh, I will uh, send to Jim to put in the chat room. He has now written a book, and it's uh, How to Beat the Federal Courts. And uh, I, I worry about him because he's, on, he's, uh, he's been released on probation after 10 years. 
And I worry that him writing this book, they're going to come right back after him again and violate his probation. But I tell you what, he's got cojones the size of basketballs, and he will challenge anybody anywhere, and he's got the brains to do it. But I will tell you that if the federal government decides they're not going to put up with you, they're not going to put up with you. You know, Straight uh, says that, you know, if you uh, stand in that chamber, you're standing is a symbol of being you're standing under his authority or hers um i don't know uh but it makes sense to me and this guy is very braggadocious but he is an excellent speaker and sounds like he knows where he's coming from for the bit that i do know and he appears to be quite successful um, and of course he's one of the big things he's after is child trafficking. Well, I, I give him all the praise in the world for that because, uh, I've got some friends, uh, in Colorado who have told me that the drug cartels in America have, uh, you know, they, they are a two headed snake now because they're dealing as much in child, uh, in, in children and sex slaves as they are in drugs. And they're bringing yep. them in from Mexico and other places. Just a, a, a point, you know, the uh, the reason people originally stood for the judge when he was coming into court is because he was carrying the Bible. And they were standing for the word of God, not for the judge. And now, how many judges walk in with the Bible? So I would well, not I, stand either. You know, I think we could put them all in a thimble, Jim. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Yeah, you could say, Mr. Administrator, you didn't bring your Bible with you, so I'll exactly. take a seat. <laughs> when you carry the Bible in, I'll stand, and it'll be for the Bible, not for you. That's well, what I would tell them. One of the things, guys, and the reason I wanted to do this program, and I wanted to do it on this subject, was because I know I've heard all of these things, and I refer to a lot of these things as magic beans. Because everybody has a magic bean that, uh, hey, if you'll just listen to me, this will work. Uh, but we still have the highest prison population of anybody, percentage of prison population, anybody uh, on the planet. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, one of the highest crime rates going. Uh, and here is the point is that if the people were educated, if the people walked into a courtroom and actually, as a jury, were actually educated enough, they controlled the courts. And even going back to Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson said, the final arbiter of what is and what is not constitutional is not the courts. It, it lands in the hands of the people, either in the pettit jury or in the grand jury. Now, here we can go into another point is the fact that who appoints grand juries but the judge or the prosecutor. That is totally unconstitutional. And they are not allowed to direct the hearings of the grand jury, but they do, and the people don't know enough to stop it. We have the force and the power in the people. We don't need to be looking for a magic bean. We need to use the weapons we have. And the weapons we have would be knowledge. And people just don't want the knowledge. But they will look for a shiny object like most crows. 
oh, there's a shiny thing. Let me run over there and see what that is. When it's all right in front of you, and it's right there as far as the juries could do exactly what they're supposed to do, and they could take the country back, but you cannot take the country back without education. It's just not there. Sorry, I jumped on my soapbox there, gentlemen. I hope you will forgive me. <laughs> Mac, I have a You're question. Just being Captain Obvious yes. there. <laughs> uh, how many, what is the number of people to make a complete grand jury? It uh, varies according to the states. Now, here's the thing if you read the Fifth Amendment, it says that nobody can be convicted of a serious crime without the presentment of a grand jury. Right. Yep. The prisons are full of people that have never even seen a grand jury or no grand jury's ever heard of their case. There are states that don't even have grand juries. That's how far we are away from where we should be with the original intent. Well, it kind of was my understanding that it took 25 people to make a, a true grand jury. And anything less than that would not be a true grand jury. Have you heard that? Or? Well, I've heard various numbers, but here's what I will tell you. And this is, and you know, of all people, Antonin Scalia, you know, Dick Cheney's hunting partner, uh, who actually went on a hunting trip with Dick Cheney when he had a case before the Supreme Court. That's, uh, you know, kind of cool. But everybody thinks Antonin Scalia was the second coming somehow. Uh, but here was, here's the point. Even he made the statement that the grand juries are separate and apart. And before he passed away, he attacked that thing in uh, Ferguson, Missouri, on the case where they had the guy who was shot and the police officer. He went after that, and he said that it is totally unconstitutional for the prosecutor to run the grand jury. The grand jury is the power in and of themselves, either that or they're just a tool of the government. Right. And so he was, you know, I got to give, you got to give the devil his due. Scalia was exactly right on that. And nothing scares a court more. Now, I, I've seen this. Nothing scares them more than a grand jury, guys, operating as it should. <laughs> I'll bet. Because they really get upset because yeah, they will tell you. Uh, guys, Cody has called in. I think this is the first time Cody's ever called this show, so I want to give him a shot, too. Cody, go ahead. I want to say it's been, it might have been the second or third, but maybe the second time. It's been a while. <laughs> but, uh, hey, good to, sorry, I caught the kind of the, the last hour here, so or the last, you know, only the second hour, I guess. I don't know what you guys are talking about exactly, but, uh, Mike, you said that there are literally states that don't have grand juries? Yes. Or they don't use them. They literally. They don't use them. Because you know, uh, I know there were, there was some talk about uh, New York, for example, getting rid of some of their sheriffs in certain counties. I know National Liberty Alliance. John has talked a little bit about that. I don't know that for a fact and all, but that's you know he's mentioned that. But to not have a grand jury sounds kind of unbelievable, being it is in the Constitution like that. Can you tell me a little more what states or what's the situation there? I'm curious. Well. Here's where it states uh, in the Fifth Amendment. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime. Now, a capital crime is a felony, right, Jim? 
Uh, I'm not sure if it's just a felony or if it would be one that uh, carries a death penalty. Well, that would probably depend on the state uh, as well. Yeah, and, and we'd, have, we'd really have to look or, into what they were looking at back when the Fifth Amendment was written. because be what you know, Black said back then, how it was defined? Or? Well, it says, No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime. Yeah, so it could be just a felony. A presentation or indictment of a grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actually when it, during the time of war or public danger so there it i guarantee you and i talked with my friend that i mentioned before who was the attorney who ended up 10 years in prison because he was turning judges inside out in the courtroom and they decided, we're not putting up with this any longer, so the federal government brought up charges against him, and he couldn't defend himself. What does that and, mean, inside out? What was what kind of things was he bringing up? Oh, he was bringing up all kinds of things. He would bring up the things about juries. Yeah. He, he would have a defendant, and the judge would start to charge the jury, and he would say, I'm sorry, Your Honor, you can't do that. Yeah. yeah. There... Uh, on Saturday, I'm in the Virginia area in, in D.C. They're going to have a uh, kind of a protest to bring some notice to the uh, January 6th protesters that have been, you know, they're on misdemeanor charges, most of them, and being held without bond is pretty unbelievable for months and months. And uh, so I thought if I can, I'm pretty sure I can get over them or go over there. But like, you know, what if I was to talk to people, what would you recommend, Mike, the things to like to bring up? I mean, I really liked how you, you brought up the uh, this issue of juries, how even though we've got a jury system, it's, you know, the fact that the, when the government gets the right to, in voir dire to kick people out, that's really not of the people. Um, you know, some of these other subjects you brought up on that constitutional fraud channel, people can go back and read through a constitutional fraud on Telegram. But uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of these issues with people that are interested in freedom on Saturday, and I hope I can get a concise thought in my mind with what to share and talk about with them. Well, sure, uh, Cody. Uh, we uh, can get together privately, and we can. Okay. I'll be happy to help you with that. Uh, just uh, give me a call. Uh, let's figure out a time that works out. And uh, okay. there are so many points with that. And actually, Cody, if you listen tomorrow my program on Revolution Radio tomorrow, uh, my co-host Cal Robbins and I are going to go into January 6th and how charging them is a total fraud. Uh, and, and, okay, I'll listen. But, yeah, I mean, even if even if not, holding them for misdemeanors is, is totally insane like they're doing. And then apparently some of these people have been abused, like, you know, the, the, the attorney, they had trouble finding attorneys. So one guy that this John Pierce, I believe, is the attorney's name. He's one of the few that was willing to represent him. And he's representing 12 now because of that, that he was the only one willing to do it. Isn't that sad in this country for misdemeanor charges that attorneys would be scared to represent somebody that that's on the right? It's just unbelievable to me. Well, Cody, so. are you familiar with the Twin Peaks uh, shooting in Waco, Texas? Was that the, uh, that wasn't, okay, I was thinking there's a Luby's Cafeteria. What, which one was that, the Twin Peaks? No, this was, uh, this was Twin Peaks Restaurant. This was the bikers, where all the bikers were getting together. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, somebody mentioned that one time. Okay, well, the local, 
the local prosecutor charged everyone who was present with murder. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, that's crossed my mind. It kind of brings up another subject I would like to proffer to everybody. It's like, if there is a murder, you know, can how can multiple people be responding? If it's an eye for an eye, so if two people are 50% respond, you know, whoever actually does the murder should be the one that faces the death penalty. I find that kind of interesting that multiple people can get life in prison for, you know, for murder. Well, Cody... Here's something to think about, especially with with the uh, Waco, uh, and I hesitate, I'd say Twin Peaks Waco. There's two different Waco events. But at Twin Peaks, there were nine bikers who were killed. The autopsies show that five of the nine were killed by 223 rounds traveling in a downward trajectory through the head. Oh, and that's... Oh, that's those federal agents. I don't know too much about it. I heard there was federal agents doing some kind of a setup there. Is oh, it was a setup yeah. from the beginning. I mean, they charged everybody there. They confiscated every motorcycle there. They charged everybody. They destroyed lives. And here we are. That was in 14. Here we are six, seven years later. They still haven't gotten a conviction. <laughs> oh, they haven't even got a conviction, but they've taken their property. They've taken their property. They've taken them to trial. Every trial that has happened so far, they have been acquitted. But, gentlemen, here, I wanted to get this in. Here is why, in my opinion, we are in this trouble in this country. There are remedies. The problem is nobody knows what they are. And here is the reason why. Now, stop and think about this. One-third of the Americans today don't know why we fought the Revolutionary War and from whom we won our independence. Four out of five seniors at the top U.S. colleges and universities earned grades of D or F on history questions drawn from a high school curriculum, unable to identify Valley Forge, the Gettysburg Address, or the principles of the Constitution and Bill of Rights. Students can now graduate from every top college or university in the land without studying a minute of American history. So if you live in a nation of idiots, you will be ruled by idiots. Well, we're definitely getting that. <laughs> Um, gonna jump in here real quick. Got another caller. Six two six is. I don't have a name. All I got's a number. Six two six. Go ahead and jump in there. Hi, it's Brent. Hey, Brent. And, Good to uh, see you. Hey, uh, saw you like that uh, meme I put up about the wise man. <laughs> I don't know but, if I uh, saw that one. I have to look. Yeah, the wise man. Oh, uh, yeah, that one. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. tell his wife anything. Yeah, I, I did yeah. like that one. That was good. Yeah. All right, moving along. Sunday night on Coast to Coast, you can take that here or there. Uh, they had a author on named Susan Munson, and she went through a um, medium to, I guess, conjure up Thomas Jefferson. And she ended up writing a book or scripting a, or scribing a book, The Metaphysical Thomas Jefferson. 
And the subject matter was pretty namby-pamby or pablum compared to what, you know, uh, Michael talks about. I had sent uh, you, uh, you know, Jim, uh, Daryl, and Robert, and a few other people uh, copies of that recording. And you can see how pablum it is. But uh, I would have liked to have called in on there, and the call screener probably wouldn't let my line of questioning in, or the author wouldn't have known how to even answer what I would have asked, you know, about the status situation and things like that. Mm-hmm. As far as our citizenship, that's all I have to say. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you calling in. Semper Fi, brother. Yeah. Oh, and also, um, if you could, if Michael would want it, um, you know, you can give him my email address or you can forward him the uh, recordings. I'll do that. The first two hours of that Coast to Coast. Yeah, and I haven't had the chance to listen to him yet, but I'll see if I can get to it. But, yeah, uh, I would love I'll, to hear it. I'll pass him along. Thanks, yep. All righty. I have a question for Michael. Go ahead, Sam. Do you uh, ever have the opportunity to speak to the Bundys? Yes, I did in 2014 at the breakfast I mentioned earlier in the show. I mean, currently, would you be able to get in touch with them? Uh, Not to my knowledge, no. Okay. I would love to find somebody who can ask them whether or not, uh, according to David Stray, he filed his affidavit three times, and that's when he had him stick. Prior to this, according to Strait, he had him stick because uh, he wasn't allowed to have a Bible or a jury uh, book with him. And uh, on the after the third time of the filing, according to Strait, he had him stick some napkins in his front pocket and stick the uh, general constitution up out of the pocket so it was visible. And according to Strait, the bailiff uh, looked at it and sort of smiled. He walked into the court, and that was the first time the judge let him speak and cross-examine people. Now, that's what he said. I would like to have somebody verify that. Well, uh, I can ask my very close friend who was on uh, K-Talk Radio, and he's been on a couple of programs with me. Uh, He was on K-Talk Radio in Salt Lake City for years. He's a uh, a friend of the Bundy family. He's the one who set up my meeting with them. Uh, And I could ask him uh, about that. Uh, But uh, when you get into uh, that trial, you have to understand that almost every federal judge in the Western United States recused themselves from the Bundy trial. Really? And they actually had to get this lady, I forgot what her name was, they actually had to make her a federal judge and put her on the bench. (laughs) (laughs) Because there wasn't a judge, every, as I said, all the federal judges uh, that were up recused themselves and wouldn't take the case. Wow. Before we run out of time, Mike, why don't you go ahead and tell people, uh, first off, Mike has a website, rebelmanman.com, and also Rebel Man Man on the um, uh, Telegram, as well as uh, Constitutional Fraud on Telegram. 
Uh, but as far as your radio shows, Mike, why don't you uh, let people know where they can hear more? Well, every Thursday you can hear me on with Jim Ram. <laughs> more and more people seem to be getting it too. <laughs> and then on Fridays, uh, you can, uh, I'm on at 12 noon Eastern on uh, Revolution Radio, and the title of my program is Dare to Think Out Loud. And then on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m., I'm on Revolution Radio uh, on Studio A again. Both are on Studio A. But on Sunday evenings on Revolution Radio, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, my program is Addicted to Your Own Destruction. And I got to tell you, the July 4th one was great. Sorry about that. Didn't mean to jump in on top of you, Mike, but I just want to say the July 4th show was phenomenal. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I uh, uh, Sometimes I get a little passionate, Jim. I tell you what, that one was fantastic. I got to download the other one because I'm going to be cutting grass this evening, so I got to have that to listen to. <laughs> well, I appreciate your... Uh, and, Jim, I tell you what, uh, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, maybe we ought to, you know, take this on as a format Let's uh, take our subject through the first hour in the future, and if we generate this kind of interest, uh, let's uh, open up uh, again. I really enjoyed the phone call. Yeah, I was thinking of that in the future. I think what we're going to do is let the first hour just be the show, of, you know, just the two of us going over things, and then we'll take calls in a second just to make sure we get all the points out that you want to. But. Well, uh, our- good friend robert is trying to call me on skype and oh he doesn't now he's trying to call in here skype. here he is let's get him in here oh, is he calling you yeah he Uh-oh. should be popping in here in a second I that's hope. all we needed was that crusty old dude come on robert somehow or another he popped in as a second let me try and call him uh where is he there he is He'll probably show up as not available. Oh, good. He hung up from the other one. So we should get him on here. I hope. Well, thanks a lot, Jim, for mentioning my two Telegram channels. Uh, Folks, if you're not on there, please join. I would love to have you there. Constitutional Fraud and the Rebel Madman. Okay, Robert's here. Go ahead, Robert. Come on, unmute yourself. Come on, Robert. Come on. Hmm. He may be uh, just trying to listen because I know a lot of times he's in kind of noisy environments where there's a lot of background stuff. Right. That might be the case here. I'm calling in for just the last (laughs) five minutes of the show. (laughs) Well, yeah. Jim, uh, let me – I got this notice, and I should have uh, said it earlier, but tomorrow – on uh, my uh, Dare to Think Out Loud, we will be talking about standing on the principles of the Declaration of Independence and our state constitutions and how January 6th was a crime against the people. Ooh, that's going to be good. Man, I'll have to try and... I got so much going on on Fridays, but uh, I'm going to see if I can't at least hear part of it. And if nothing else, I'll always well, grab the download. Jim, just to kind of give you a little bit of a teaser, here's my question. And, you know, Doug read some and I read some. It says that the people 
are the sovereign and they have the right to alter, abolish, or change the government. Uh, I believe a case could be made, and if I was their attorneys, I would be making the case uh, for these people who were charged on January the 6th that they were just following the dictates of the Declaration of Independence. They were trying to alter a government which had just committed election fraud. Bingo. <laughs> they got set up by the Federal Bureau of Instigation. Yeah. Well, they did that, unfortunately, they did that by infiltrating a couple of groups that in 2010, I said, were infiltrated by the feds. And I said that at some point in time, the feds will use them for their own purposes, because anytime any group gets together and starts to make a noise out there, I promise you, within weeks, you will be infiltrated by federal agents. I, uh, I have a friend who actually knew the Black Panthers back in the 60s, and um, all those guys were trying to do is uh, feed Holy intelligent meat. Uh, and it didn't matter whether you were black or white. They were, they were helping out both. And, of course, the FBI got in there and uh, turned that thing upside down. Well, there was a uh, militia group in Tucson, Arizona called the Vipers. If you want to see a classic setup, because I went to one meeting, I was invited to go to a meeting, I went to one meeting, and I, the guy who invited me, I, uh, when I left, I said, half of the people here are federal agents. He said, no, you're kidding. I said, no, half of them are federal agents. All you got to do is look at them. Wow. <laughs> so Never any fails. group that begins to create a following will be infiltrated. The Oath Keepers were infiltrated. I wrote about that in 2010. I, my article was refused to be published, and when I said that the Oath Keepers and the Constitutional Sheriff were being infiltrated, uh, two days later I had two black SUVs in my yard of FBI agents wanting to know why I was anti-government. <laughs> Just anti-corrupt government. That's what I told them, Jim. Yep. <laughs> I wow. said, you know, guys, the ones you work for. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What fun. What fun. What what came of that, Mike? Oh, it Michael? was a wonder, wonderful meeting. They just, uh, they tried to play good cop, bad cop. They tried to do all their stuff, and they said, can we come in your house? It was, uh, you know, it was in January. It was about uh, four below zero, and I said, no, I don't allow feds in my house. <laughs> I said, we can stand out here in the yard and talk, and they said, well, we're not dressed for that. I said, that's your problem. Sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> Shame on them. And they wanted the hard drive off my computer, which I told them to get a warrant. And they said, well, we can get one. I said, if you could have gotten one on probable cause, you would have brought it with you. Yep. Uh, well, go ahead and knock out the last uh, 30 seconds or so, Mike. That's all we got left. So well, any last? Jim, uh, I, I just can't thank you enough for, uh, you know, inviting me on and giving me a chance to uh, to uh, get passionate about what I love, uh, you know, second most in the world, or at least it's in the top five, and that would be freedom, because without freedom and liberty, the others don't matter. Exactly. That's it, definitely. And that's what we're all about, you know, making sure that we have liberty, not just in political, but financial, spiritual, and health. And when you do all four of those, you really have it. But uh, I want to thank everybody for being here. It's been a great uh, bunch of guys on the lines and everybody else that's out there listening. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Um, we'll be a replay tomorrow, probably be this show. 
Uh, we'll be back live on Monday. And until then, take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. Y'all have a wonderful weekend. God bless. See you soon. Take care, Jim. Take care, buddy. Thanks.